hope you're not talking about the drinks. Ooh, no, just your nephew. Uh, we'll have none of that, thanks. Well, tell that to Alia. Yeah. And since when did you become Hope Not Eight? Since he spiked my daughter and nearly blew up half the street. Well, at least he's done one good thing and he's pleaded guilty. Has he? Yeah. What sort of parents would let their child get involved with something like that? Oh, Tracy, it's not that simple. Oh, never is with you. Look, do you want these drinks or what? Yes, Leanne, we do. Right, one woo-woo for you. Pussy fuck and a dirty Shirley. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 240 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street Catch-Up podcast that notes that anyone who thought Alia was relatively unscathed after being blown up two weeks ago and stabbed in the lung last week obviously failed to see her shuffling around in their big jacket this week. I'm Gavin. And I'm really sorry, Charlie. I watched episode three of The Last of Us and didn't cry. Oh. It was good, but I didn't cry. And I'm a crier. She was crying all the way through it, apparently. Yeah. It was- Maybe somebody had need them in the nuts. <laughs> It was good. Don't get me wrong. I, I haven't seen it. any of it, so don't don't spoil it for me. I will not. I'm a fan of Nick Offerman as well. Because he's in episode three. That's all I'm going right. to say. How you doing? Uh, I'm sore and I'm tired. It's been a long week. It has been a long week. It's been a long week where I feel like I've never stopped. And yet I have very little to show for it. Yeah, I know the feeling. Although I guess I have a lot to show for it because I finally finished the book auction. It is complete. It should drop sometime this week. So I'm very excited to see that drop and see how it does and everything. I'm nervous. It's like sending a child out into the world. Is this your first auction that you've put together? Yes. Essentially by myself, right. an auction of like over, well, 550 lots in this auction. What if nobody buys anything? Worth over $150,000. Oh. People better buy stuff. <laughs> Make my paycheck worth it. Right. And so now I'm working on the man cave auction. There's a man cave auction? It's going to be a man cave auction, yes. I was um, photographing old spittoons and a trolling box and and a uh, what kind of man cave is this? and a corkscrew made out of a deer's foot there'll be lots of different things there, there'll be there'll be things for for men like you as well oh okay good <laughs> not just not just hunting hunting things and things to spit on it's like fishing I've got the whole outside for that <laughs> people actually use spittoons anymore do they aren't they merely decorative why are you asking me <laughs> you don't you don't chaw tobacco i don't there are people in funnily our town enough, funnily enough a uh, frequent caller to the show john welsh he chews tobacco i know that's so disgusting gross. i'm sorry john it's so gross so gross i remember when, when he was on a trivia team and we were sitting in craft go and there was a team of like six or seven of us at the time and they were just passing around the tin of this I can't remember what the name of it was 
It had a picture of an elk on it. No, it wasn't skulls. It wasn't skulls? But it had a picture of an elk on it, I think. And it was Uh like winter winter green flavour. And there was this guy who said he hadn't chawed tobacco for like 20 (laughs) years. And and he stuffed it. And God, his teeth were just covered in flakes of this tobacco. It was Uh kind of horrible. And then they spit right there at the table. It's in their wee cups. Constantly. They'll have the little cup. That it's like, excuse me. Putting into. Oh, it's like we live in the Wild West. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Not for me. No. I mean, no. As someone Grounds who has for divorce. Smoked, as someone who has smoked. Grounds for divorce. And knows what tobacco does. Right. Having it pressed up to your gum like that just doesn't seem like a great idea. No. No. And that's without the Surgeon General warning. Yes. I remember uh, on the year that I flew to Australia and then also went to California and I was uh-huh. smoking in those days. And in the UK on your cigarette packet, it used to say uh, the, the UK, I can't remember what the, it was, I think it was a government health mm-hmm. warning that says Tobacco can seriously damage your health or things like right. that. Right, and it's large, it's and huge, then, it like covers well, the whole it, box. Not at this time it was Oh, okay. And in the US it had things like smoking can cause emphysema and premature birth mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And in Australia it said smoking can reduce your fitness. <laughs> I thought if anything could be more Australian. In fairness. It's true, I guess. In fairness. Dead people ain't fit. In Australia... There are so many other things that will kill you before tobacco does. I suppose so. <laughs> I suppose so. How was your week? Didn't I say? <laughs> I can't remember I think I said. anymore. <laughs> felt right. like I thought about it a lot. Felt like I achieved oh, yes. little. Yeah. Yes. We practically live in bowling alleys now. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the problem. I've got another story about the bowling, but it's far too long to tell. <laughs> So, let's preamble, my dear. Yes, please. Give us some of that striking Cory news. Oh, well done. Alia's stabbing sparked serious <laughs> action by viewers. No, not to donate to refugee relief or to anti-hate groups. Oh, can I guess how many complaints? Go ahead. Oh, there were. Uh, Fifteen. <laughs> No, they went out to file Ofcom complaints, over 72 of them. Ofcom complaints? Yes. Yeah. Isn't that what I said? You said Ofcom, I think. Ah. Uh, yeah. 72? 72. 72 people found the fortitude to sit down and file a complaint about watching a, a stabbing that actually showed real blood. Well, not real well, blood, but... Very fake blood. Real fake blood. <laughs> It wasn't the sight of it that that made me uh, flinch. In fact, none of it made me flinch, but mm. it certainly wasn't the sight of it. But the thing that was closest to making me flinch was the sound of it. There was a sound of the stabbing uh, that was quite nice. um, unexpected. Right. That I don't know how realistic it is, but still to complain about that. Haven't been stabbed recently, no, huh? No, or, or watched any stabbings recently. No. Not in real life, anyway. No. I did see it. Infinity Pool at the weekend, and there's a plenty of stabbing in that. I don't remember it making as much noise as that. No, there are other things that make noise in Infinity Pool. Yeah, Alexander Skarsgård's penis, for example. Exactly. Anyway, 
<laughs> Chewing tobacco. Alexander Skargard's penis. I think we've... That's what the people come to us for. We're two thirds of the way through the talk of the street bingo card. Max's bully turned admirer, Blake, has left the building. Actor Adam Little has confirmed that he has left the show. So no comeuppance or redemption arc for that kid. No redemption arc indeed. So So we don't get to, you know. Five episodes was he in it for? Something like that. I saw the guy that played Dave. Which one was Dave again? He was one of the guys. Dave was the muscly one. Was he the muscly one? Yeah. He was one that Peter somehow managed to <laughs> to push over. Yeah, he's out of it as well. So it seems like they're kind of just... Yeah. We're kind of done with all that now. Right. Except for Max. Yeah. And more of that More of that. Later. We'll get to that, yeah. Yes. And finally, congrats to former Quarry actor Nicola Thorpe who announced her engagement to partner Nikesh Patel this week. Oh, mazel tov indeed. Mazel tov indeed. Couldn't happen to a better person. I do enjoy I, I do enjoy following Nicola on the gram. A rustling of you feathers, mm-hmm. as she does. As she should. Well done to her. <laughs> I enjoy watching her rustle feathers. More feather rustling should be done by everyone. Wrestling? Rustling. Are you not understanding it's American just, English tonight? You're speaking very funny tonight. <laughs> and that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And that, I think, as tradition dictates, moves us very neatly onto World Podcast for Coffee. We are drinking our own coffees this week. Well, I'm drinking a Canada Dry Zero Sugar. You mean a, a Stephen? Yes. Oi, Canada Dry. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if he's zero sugar or not. Well, he's That's not. probably zero he's sugar. He's not very sweet. It's probably zero sugar. Yeah. And I'm drinking an unsweetened iced tea. Well, that's and that's not because nobody bought coffees this week. But anyway. No. The talk of the sheet is... And will always be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffee by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. And we'll be very grateful, won't we, Helen? Yes. Commentary on Alexander Skargard's penis does not come for free. That's right. More to pity. Yes. And now, this... A welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about a little tinkle. That would be Sally's tinkle in in the garden. (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to hiccup there for some reason. That's right. This was (laughs) Tim's mum giving Tim a bell that he could ring to call on her like she was his servant. Just give it a little tinkle, she would say. Ah, poor choice of words by yeah. Tim's mum. I was Gavin. And you want snow more snow. I don't mind it. I don't mind it this year because we didn't get much. Yeah, this is probably going to be gone by midweek next week. 
this time last year we'd got a foot of snow falling in a little over 24 hours and my gloves picked a good time to go missing it's not so much the snow that bothered me it was the moving of the snow that bothered me Letterboxd wasn't helping your pseudo OCD as you were collecting the movies off Simon Pegg which explained why Ice Age 2 was on my TV when I got home from work that day <laughs> Bent Copper Craig turns plumber and crime scene cleaner as he attempts to cover Faye and Emma's tracks and keep dead Ted's pesky grandson off the scent Sally and Tim's mum compete to be Tim's top carer with the latter producing a bell so she can be at his beck and call Hope's involvement in Joseph's disappearance generates very different reactions and solutions from Fizz and the other members of the family. So that was a year ago. Yeah, they got a call back this week. Yeah. With her sights set on a risk management course, Asha has plans to attend university in, in that Glasgow, but worries about the distance and the strain that that will put on Nina's fragile emotional state. Kelly can't <sighs> do right for doing wrong, as an accident during Liam's French homework and an overheard conversation once again has her questioning her place on the street. Family and neighbours' worries grow about Audrey and the perception of her drinking problem. Tensions rise between Daniel and Max as David's personal ghosts are accidentally revisited. Sarah's been working on her Scottish. Bethany will FaceTime at nine. But not like that. Now everyone knows about Kintsui. Our moment of the week was David explaining to Max about being raped by Josh. And the boring moment of the week was Lydia going on to Daniel about feminism. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. My goodness. What a, what a time to be alive. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? I suppose so. Let's get the cringing over with uh, now. How did you find it this week? <sighs> and by this week, I mean two hours ago when you watched it all. <laughs> there... There were some, there were some very awkward scenes that made me very cringy and needing to kind of disassociate from this week in did, a couple of storylines. Did you cover your face with a pillow? I just turned my face to the wall. Huh. I like to cover my face with a pillow when I'm cringing. Or oh, I, or a I little just light and upon magic there. Walk, walk away and just listen to it from the other room. <laughs> Well, so if you misheard something, that's probably what happened then. Our first storyline tonight is Scylla's Revenge. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. On Monday, Hope is down in the dumps about poor dead Scylla. Fizz says that she's gone to a better place. Emmerdale. <laughs> <laughs> they do need some more younger women over there at the Emmerdale. So I'm seeing. No, that's the standards. Oh, I knew it started with an E. <laughs> That's right. That's uh, the, the cultural penetration of the <laughs> United Kingdom so far for us on an American audience. Somebody on or on this American audience. Somebody on Twitter was asking, you know, asking North Americans what their favorite uh, British word was. And I said, ball bag. It's a good word. It's more a Scottish word than a British word. Well... Is Scotland part of Great Britain? Yeah, but I would think that a British word be, would be one that would be used in a wider context. I don't care. I love bob eggs. Well, I've certainly heard that rumour. Pie and Fizz are worried about seeing Beth and Kirk today. At the bus stop, Sam is sorry to hear of the demise of the chinchilla. Hope promises that she will enact a furious and bloody revenge in Scylla's name and asks for Sam's help. 
At the factory, there's an uneasy standoff between Fizz and Beth, and they seem to bury the hatchet a bit until Beth likens Scylla to Craigie's rat and then doubles down by calling her vermin. The two of them nearly come to blows until Carla splits it up. She was a rodent. Yeah. She was a rodent. That's not wrong. No. And rodents can be cute. And they have the densest fur in the animal kingdom, let's not forget. Right. And they were grossly misjudged when it comes to the Black Plague. Chinchillas? Rats. Oh. Yeah, I, think chin, I think chinchillas got off lightly when it came to the Black Death. Yes, yes. After school, Sam sweet-talks Maria into loaning him Vin Weasel for a school project, but it, hands it off to Hope in the alleyway of doom later. It was the fleas. The bass player from Red Hot Chili Peppers? He's yes. got a lot to answer for. He's responsible. He's responsible for some of my favourite scenes in Babylon and the Black Death. A mixed card. <laughs> Where am I? Anyway, Hope uh, advises Sam to leave it to her and then uses Vin Weasel's fangs to bite her own arm. Which should not should should not make a believable bite mark by any stretch of the imagination. Well it didn't. Right. And and yet and yet she fooled so many people, including people in hospital. I don't know if the people in the hospital are going to really care too much. They're just going to give her a tetanus and send her on her way. And if she says that she's been bitten by a dog, sure, whatever. Right, but they have. To, but the hospital should have been obliged to report this. Would they? Yeah. Why? Because. Oh, good. I'm glad you've got an explanation then. Thank you. So she meets up with Beth and Peanut in the community garden while Beth's back's turned. She screams in pain, claiming that Peanut bit her. So back home, Hope gives a sob story to Fizz, but Beth isn't falling for it, accusing Hope of lying about this. Tyrone rushes Hope to the hospital with Beth and Peanut uh, slinking off home. Later, Hope is back and still in one piece after a tetanus jab. Evelyn is furious that Peanut had uh, been left off the leash, and Fizz is worried about what will happen if Peanut bites another kid. Beth and Kirk arrive, demanding to see those bite marks. Fizz tells them that she intends to report Peanut to the police. Kirk and Beth are both livid at this. Well, Beth is. So Fizz does that. She phones the cops and explains to Hope later that this may mean that Peanut is going to be put down. And this seems to shock Hope, who thought that Peanut would just get a six-month suspended sentence or whatever. <laughs> I never wanted her to die. Oh, well. This... Nobody has proven that that dog did anything to that chinchilla. No. And somebody should have been in the room with both of them together, and someone should have shut the cage door properly. So the fact that everybody just assumes that Peanut is guilty of killing this chinchilla... By scaring her to death, which isn't a thing, and also if she was barking at the thing and terrifying it, other people in the house would have heard it. Can we just take a moment to reflect on the fact that this soap opera has made you say the sentence, no one can prove that that dog did anything to that chinchilla. <laughs> it's come to this. It has come to this. On Wednesday... Early morning and Tyrone catches Hope retrieving Vin Weasel from the outhouse. 
Tyrone might be stupid, but he's not that stupid. <laughs> and he knows something is going on. And as he's running this by fizz, he spots that the bite marks on Hope's arm line up perfectly with Vin Weasel's fangs. Fizz is appalled, even more so when she explains that she was when Hope explains that she was avenging Scylla's death, which was actually quite funny. She turns on the waterworks when she says that she didn't realise that Peanut could get put down. At the factory, Beth and Kirk are sitting on pins as they await news of Peanut's fate when Fizz comes in and says, yeah, about that. And she explains about Hope faking the bite, but she frames it as just a harmless prank that went wrong. Beth is fuming, calling Hope an evil psycho from hell with a Netflix documentary in the pipeline. (laughs) That was funny. Fizz promises Hope will be punished. How? says Beth, and Fizz doesn't have much of an answer for this. She's got to get a pizza! <laughs> right. So on the street later, Beth is still furious as she shouts at Hope and uh, demands an apology. Hope says that she is sorry, but she says that she's due an apology as well, as that stupid dog is responsible for Scylla's death. And there's a strange uh, little lingering shot on Beth's face here, and then later... Hope gets home and Fizz and Tyrone are ready to dish out the punishment when Hope claims that Beth slapped her across the face on the street. Yeah, Tyrone says, where? And she's like, on my face. And it's like, you would have a mark on your face if somebody, if an adult slapped you. Well, first of all, Tyrone says, where? And Hope says, on the street. (laughs) And then Tyrone says, no, where on your body? Was it your arm or whatever? Right, yeah. Because there's no visible mark on that child. No. But still, <laughs> I felt there was a little bit of a, a Max switcheroo going on here. Mm. That the um, that we Hope sh- has cried wolf once too often sort of thing. We shall see. So, meanwhile, Beth is celebrating a new haircut and not dead dog at the bistro when she gets a text from Fizz asking her to pop over. She must grab Kirk along the way and they turn up on the assumption that they're about to get their apology. Fizz and Ty explain Hope's accusation and Beth is shocked and denies laying a finger on Hope and she's affronted to learn that they even considered it could be true and Kirk is like to Tyrone, I don't see how the two of us can remain friends after this. So, Fizz and Tyrone approach Hope with this and she maintains that she's telling the truth. Fizz and Ty explain that if it is true, they're going to lose two of their friends about this and they're going to have to go at the cops about it. And plus, Hope is a lying sack of shit, so is she absolutely sure that she has nothing that she wants to admit? And Hope doubles down. She says that she's telling the truth. Beth did indeed scalp her jaw in the middle of the street. And at this I'm thinking, I actually believe Hope here. She didn't have a mark on her face, but I did believe her. On Friday, Fizz and Tyrone bump into Beth and Kirk on the street and there's a frosty atmosphere that carries on to the factory and Beth grabs a word with Fizz and explains how upset Kirk is and admits to Beth that she had some very harsh words with Hope but she wants to put it all behind them for Kirk and Tyrone's sake. Fizz is in agreement but just as long as they can all sit down and discuss it which doesn't sound like putting anything behind them to me. So Beth and Kirk sit and have tea and pink biscuits with Fizz and Tyrone and they're making they're making amends and making up and all are having a good old laugh when Hope comes in and is disgusted to see them all larking it up. She storms out and Beth goes after her. And the conversation that they have on the street, it turns out that, yep, indeed, Beth really did slap Hope after all. And she apologises for it. She blames Hope for provoking her 
and says that they've both learned a lesson now and gives her a fiver to keep her mouth shut and buy some sweets. Hope remains unimpressed, but agrees to let it go. For now. Dum dum dum. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. So Beth really did slap a child yeah. that did not belong to her. Mm-hmm. It's like the old days. Yeah. Remember the old days? When a neighbor would punish you and your parents would defend the neighbor? Anytime I got into trouble, my mum was always off. What did you do? Right. Yeah. So-and-so shouted at me or so-and-so gave me a row or right. so-and-so put a knife through my ball. <laughs> so what, you know, what right. did you do then? Well, you shouldn't have kicked your ball into their garden then. Oh, an actual ball. Yeah. Not my testicle, no. Not your ball bag. No. But uh, but yeah, it was always, it was always our fault. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Not these days. And we turned out fine. No, but did we? Because now we complain to teachers when teachers shout at kids and... I don't. No, but people generally do. Yeah. I say... Well, get your work in then. Right. Don't be lazy. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you have a B average. It should be an A. Uh, do, you, do, you think, do you think Hope is done exacting revenge in Scylla's name? Not with the way that she said cow at the end of that storyline tonight. Yeah, but she's not going to exact revenge on Peanut anymore, I don't think. No, she's going to exact it on Beth. Right, because she did seem genuinely sorry when she thought the dog was going to die. Yeah, did she, though? Because she's old enough to know that you well, report a dog be to the police. Enough. And she's and she's going to know this. That if you report a dog to the police for biting, they're going to put the dog down. Yeah, she didn't seem to, though. And I find that hard to believe. Mm. She, is, she is at a point, though, that... Nobody on that street but her parents believe her. And even her parents don't really believe her anymore. That, that's, that's got to give her pause yeah, at I, this point. I kind of felt they were milking it a little bit in the show with Fizz and Tyrone just falling over themselves to believe her. Right. Just a little bit. Yeah. But it is true to character. And yeah. we've said this I don't know how many times that they're the worst parents. Yeah. And this is why they're the worst parents because they just... They never call her out in her shit. No. Their punishments are always non-existent. Right. It's very much kind of like the Max situation where... Absolutely. She gets into trouble after trouble after trouble and nothing happens. Yeah. So she so just she's ends up getting be, into bigger trouble. Yeah, so she's going to be a terrorist someday too. Well, probably. And people look back and say, the same thing happened to Max. Mm-hmm. He's still in the jail. Yes. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I'm glad that Peanut didn't. Die. Uh, didn't die. That would have been an absolute outroar. Yes. Because I don't think, I don't think everyone sees the the hope character as being as potentially comical as as I think we see it. Yeah. I mean, she she did essentially kill her un, unborn sibling by trying to start a fire and smoke it out. Mm-hmm. So she's she's not. It's not harmless. No, and it was quite it was quite amusing to hear Beth rhyme off the charge yes. sheet against her. Right. A tendency to start fire, certainly. Right. Hiding a boy in the, the attic in the attic for, for, money. for money. Right. Well, yeah. well see when you when you explain it that way, it doesn't right. sound too great, does it? <laughs> no. And but it's perfectly true. Yeah. And it you does can still see, amuse us though. 
Right, and you can see Fizzy's face as she as she's listened to this, and she knows mm-hmm. that everything that Beth is saying about it's hope true. is true, but she just doesn't like to hear it. No, and because uh, that means she has to do something about it. Right, and her go to excuse seems to be she's just a kid. Right. Yeah, she's just a kid who's done all this ridiculously evil things. Yeah, because kids are evil. <laughs> Generally speaking, yes, absolutely. No, no, I, I think, um, I think we haven't seen we haven't seen the last of it. It was nice to see kind of Kirk involved in a story that wasn't just him walking down the street with a yo-yo, with a yo-yo, or misunderstanding what something means, right? Or, no, he was. He yeah. was distraught about losing his friend, right. and he was distraught about the accusations being levelled at Beth, and he was quick to jump to her defence, and it was like, yes. almost, was like, nice. almost like we were giving Kirk a proper story here. Yes, and then they had to ruin it with those pink biscuits. Yeah. Ho, 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 another one in your mouth, Tyrone. Ho, 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 But not like that. <laughs> well, they were pink. Yep. Nine pink biscuits. Well, Mr. Ambassador, you're spoiling us. <laughs> oh, well. Moving on then to our next storyline. I need my guitar for this. Uh-oh. <clears throat> you got enough room over there. Yeah. Just in stockings rise again. What is happening? Again. What was that? That was that was the theme tune to well, played very badly. That was the theme tune to the YouTube show Justin Hawkins Rides Again. Justin Hawkins being the lead singer from The Darkness. And the storyline is called Justin Stalkins Rides Again. Because he's a stalker, you see. Wow. Yeah. Ill considered, I think, will be the <laughs> My reaction to having to listen to this and edit it later on tonight. <clears throat> on Monday, Daisy's mum, whose name I can never remember, is at number one for breakfast. Daisy's already sick of the sight of her. Her mum says it's like living in a kitchen sink drama. Which I believe is what passes for meta these days. Yay. Daisy is making plans for begging for wedding freebies, which Daniel thinks might be a tough ask, given that she's not really an influencer. Then Daisy gets a message from Justin, confused that Daisy seems to have blocked her accidentally, so he's set up a new account. So she blocks that one too. Oh yeah. Daisy is adopting the Lemmy approach here. Block and move on. Yes. Daniel the teacher is in the pub at lunchtime having a pint and is given a task <laughs> from Daisy. She tells him to sort out some free flowers from Tracy. Hmm. So Daniel goes to the florist telling Tracy that she's been given the honour of providing their wedding flowers for free if Daisy promotes the shop on her socials. Tracy offers up her kidney as well and then tells Daniel to get to fuck. On the pub later, when Daisy announces that she's bagged a free wedding dress, seemingly it's honking, and then quizzes Daniel on how he got finished on how he got on with Tracy, he tells her Tracy's thinking about it, which isn't entirely false. It isn't finished? No. Because when she goes to try it on later, it's obviously not finished. Oh. And and the, the, the seamstress says it's not finished yet, but you can get an idea. 
Because you can see the seams. I didn't look at it that closely. Well, you're a man. But when Tracy comes in later, she orders two glasses of wine, takes a photo of them, and then tries to walk away without paying. That was <laughs> that fucking was brilliant. Brilliant. That was good. Daisy isn't clever enough to realise what's going on, so Tracy has to spell it out. Tracy says that being in the family is honour enough and no one needs to be ripped off by Daisy here. Back home, Daisy doesn't appreciate Daniel lying about this and has sourced another freeway florist anyway. Then she gets more texts on her phone, and this is her actual mobile phone now. He knows her number. Yikes. So without telling Daniel what's going on, she blocks him and moves on. Block and move on. On Wednesday, Daisy's still getting new messages from new Justin accounts that he keeps on setting up, and she's still blocking them and is still moving on, and is still keeping it secret because she's scared Daniel will tell her to get off social media if he finds out. And I think if this is what she's thinking, is that a a red flag? I'm not going to tell him about this because he'll make me get off social media. Well, he can't make her do anything. Right, but that's kind of what she was saying, though. If that's what his reaction is going to be... I don't know, there's just there's something not, very... He's not great at not this great. sort of thing. No. And as we'll take, see take, later take, on, yeah, when he is appalling. Mm. Yeah, Daniel tells her that, she, that he won't be able to attend the wedding fair today, so she'll just have to go with Jenny and Christina is the mum's name. Christina. Remember, How could you forget that? Remember that for her leaving in a few minutes' time. And the rovers, Jenny and Christina, are sniping each other about which one of them is the biggest cow. And meanwhile, Glenda notices that Daisy is distracted with her worries about this Justin creep. She can't give up her socials because if she does, she loses her bargaining chip. Right. And she loses free her free wedding. Right. So later, Jenny and Christina are still going at it, this time about uh, Daisy's dad. And Daisy has had it up to her tits with this, so tells the two of them that she'll be going to the wedding fair on her own. Is that wise, Daisy? It's almost like she's kind of forgetting the first half of the storyline. Right. Take Glenda with you then. Yeah. Take anybody. Take the couple of characters that are already there. Right. Jenny and Christina blame each other for this until Glenda tells them both about the creepoid Justin. They apologise to Daisy, but it's too little, too late. So at the wedding fair, which seems to be at the Rape Hotel, Daisy's pretending that she's having a jolly old time by taking selfies of herself in front of the sign that says where she is. Right. Debbie's Rape Hotel, it says on the wall. So Daisy later is trying on a honking dress when an assistant announces that her fiancé has arrived. And she's like, oh, Daniel's come after all. It's not honking, it's unfinished. But when she opens the curtain, it's not Daniel. No, it's not. It's Justin. And yeah. he's wearing a smashing new cagoul. <sighs> but apparently the cagoul's not finished yet. <laughs> she tells him to leave, but he is very much looking forward to their big day together. Champagne, darling. Ugh. He just doesn't listen to anything that she says. He thinks that a post from the wedding fair that she just took mm-hmm. was a message to him to let him know where she was so they could talk without any interference from Daniel. So creepy. She tells him to go, but again he ignores her, saying that he's there to save her from Daniel and he'd die for her. And she threatens to call the police, so finally he slinks off, claiming that he knows her and knows that they'll be together. And all during this conversation, Daisy's wearing that stupid wedding dress. Which is unfinished. And kind of honking. Back at the pub, 
Daisy has told Daniel, who is completely out of his depth when the problem isn't resolved by him getting involved with two arguing women. Mm. Then Glenda decides to show Daisy the funeral flowers that have just arrived for her. <coughs> if I was Glenda, I would maybe, maybe keep that to myself. Maybe stop doing that. Daisy sees this as a message. If Justin can't have her, no one can, she actually says. They head back to number one and dispose of the flowers just as Tracy comes in to inform them that they were actually from her. And this stops Daniel from calling the police for some reason. He's about right. to call the police. Right. And then he decides not to just because this one <laughs> wasn't from the creepy stalker. I, now, Daisy, Daisy will take another photo later on, which I think is ridiculous. But for someone who is seemingly so social media savvy, you'd think and and is also being stalked by mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. You would think she'd be savvy enough to know not to post that photo until after she's left. Yep. And not to post something that has her full name on it later on and that gives a specific date and time and place that she will be at a specific time and place. I it, Most people on social media know not to do that. Well, funnily enough, I was just reading a post from Melanie Blake, who's a author and celebrity agent. Uh-huh. And she follows us and we follow her on, uh -huh. on the Twitter. Lovely person. And she says that this is what she's been doing because of the problems that she's having. Right. She never posts stuff from that night. No. It's always like from two nights ago or whatever. So purely for this reason, because it is, if you are getting bombarded with this kind of right. thing the last thing you want to be doing is putting on your your location services and, right. and posting something to insta yeah that's why even like with your personal facebook page they say not to post your vacation photos you know until you're back home because you don't want to announce to people that your house is sitting empty right for the time being and of course if she does this then this part of the storyline can't happen but but it she's supposed kinda, to be smart. And and this is what kind of gets me with the influencer stuff. If she is supposed to be this influencer. That mm -hmm. And getting all of this free stuff. She doesn't seem to know an awful lot about what's involved in that. And she said this week that she worked really hard on, on this. And I don't know that I see any evidence of that. Except, of course, for the fact that she is getting free stuff from some people. Because it feels like that's... You know, it feels like she has enough of a following that people will give her stuff for free so that she will promote their stuff. I can probably concede that people who are actual influencers and have the hundreds of thousands of followers right. do work at it. I don't know that I would say work hard at it, but they do work at it. Right. And it can be time consuming. I don't know that anything that we've seen on Daisy kind of backs it up from her that somebody's willing to give her a free wedding dress well, I don't know some of it just do you know the, the social media functionality in the weather field is bamboozling at the best of times it's true everything goes viral that's so true. maybe, maybe like everything goes viral maybe so. fucking Chesney's an influencer who knows <laughs> so anyway later Christina comes to apologise again and she announces that she's made her peace with Jenny and has realised the obvious that I've been mentioning for ages that it's months to go until the wedding so she's going to fuck off until then 
So the point of her coming back has been, I'm not sure what. At, to provide comic relief and to keep Jenny from going to the fair with Daisy so that Daisy had to go by herself so that Daisy could be creeped on by oh, I'm sure they could have worked out an alternative reason for that that didn't require bringing this character. And I don't think, I don't think this is the last we've seen of her, no, but it's no, just no. weird to bring her in for just a couple of episodes and send her on her way again. Ah. She's fun. Is she though? When I think about the, the other recent additions. I mean, she's no Glenda. Glenda and she's no Dee Dee. No. But she's fun because she's honest. I like that she was honest in saying, I just hated being a parent. It wasn't for me. So I fucked off hmm. to a houseboat. In Amsterdam. Yeah. Later, Daniel and Daisy are walking home from the pub when they spot a delivery guy at Chesney's and it's only fucking creepy Justin. I hardly recognise you without your cagoule, says Daisy. Daniel gives a very slow chase until Justin drives off in his van and then Daniel starts to run and shout at it. He's been very, very careful not to do any running or shouting when Justin's not in the van driving away at speed. Right. Daisy doesn't think she's ever going to get rid of this creepy prick. On Friday... And number one, Daniel is trying to track down creepy Justin through the delivery company, but funnily enough, corporations aren't in the habit of doxing their employees. To punctuate the hypocrisy of this, she gets another message, and she just deletes, blocks, and moves on. On the street, Daniel sees Justin going about his creepy package delivery job, and is all over in his face, telling him to sling his hook, and warning him about scaring Daisy, although he mostly describes her as my fiancé, which was a bit possessive and stuff. Justin says that he never meant to scare anyone, mentions how he needed the job because his mum is in hospice. And Daniel cools at this and invites Justin round for a cuppa. And now Justin thinks Daniel is a total night creeper. In the other roles, Daniel tries to connect with creepy Justin and tells him about Sinead and then kind of calls him a psycho who is consumed with grief about his mum. Daniel tells Justin to stop and is surprised when Justin just simply agrees. So <laughs> fucked up. Of all the fucked up things Daniel has ever done, mm -hmm. sitting down to have a cuppa with his fiance's stalker yep. to, to try to reason with him and say, look, can you just stop, please? Mm -hmm. Because let me tell you about my dead wife and that should get you to stop mm -hmm. creeping on my future wife right. who I'm replacing my dead wife with. Yep. What but, the hell, man? And if I were here, let me tell you about my sex card again. <laughs> Look, if you want somebody to creep on, I've got a girl's number. And I've got a cardigan I can lend you. Right. What's She'll do anything. The, the thing that got me about this was, <clears throat> as we are about to find out later, there is no repercussions for Daniel for this. No. So the show thinks this is all right. Right. <laughs> because I was I expecting Daisy expected to find out. Daisy to get so mad at him for sitting down and having a cup. Buying him a cup of tea, no less. Right. And Nina rolls, no right. less. What's wrong with him? What, you couldn't bring him round to the house? Right. Where's Justin? Oh, he's babysitting Bertie for me. <laughs> Give Ken a break. But the show thinks this is okay The show thinks this is okay Because when Daisy finds out about it She doesn't say anything No, and nobody else does either 
The show thinks this is okay. It, has anybody white knighted harder than Daniel? <laughs> That's what I would like to know. He picks his battles, though, bless him. Oh, God. Back at number one, Daisy and Daniel are chatting about how sad and lonely Justin is. Daisy reckons that Justin has done some reading on Daniel and has worked out his weakness. He has mummy issues, cancer issues, and is a total sap. And now that Daniel realises that he's in danger too, he insists that they go to the police. So, yeah, yeah. so it's just, they're just having a nice little conversation about, right. oh, well, I, I tried to talk sense into him by right. taking him for a cup of tea and, and, and having she, a nice feature mag with him. What? You did what? You did what? No, no. Her, her whole thing is he must know how to get under your skin. Or he's done his research. Right. Because that's how he knows how to get under your skin because mm. he's done his research. I, um, I don't know if that is necessarily the case because we did see him in the hospital sitting there. Yeah. So da- I do believe he has a dying mother. Yeah, Daisy herself says this is a bit of a stretch and mm-hmm. and you're going to poo-poo this, but this is what it looks like. Right. Because because Daniel so quickly buckled. And he so quickly poo-poos things. Mm. He is a poo-pooer. Now let's talk about the police station scene. Oh, God, <laughs> do we have to? Why? At the police station, PC Tinker could not give a solitary fuck about Daisy and Daniel's issue, saying that receiving flowers isn't intimidation. And tells Fuck! <laughs> it is if somebody keeps sending you flowers ask you after you tell them not to. That is the very definition of intimidation. Mm-hmm. And he tells Daisy to keep a diary. Daisy wants to know what Justin needs to do before they will do anything. Craig says, did I mention that diary? Daisy asks if she should stop wearing short skirts too, and she promises to hound PC Tinker into his grave about this every time Justin hounds her. So Craig makes that face. And it goes to go away, and she's like, I'm no done with you. Yeah, sit, sit your down. ass back down here. Yeah, she's, she's a lot better than Max at, at getting PC Tinker to at least pay attention. Yeah, and uh, Daniel... Might as well not be there. No, seriously. <laughs> and and Craig starts to give this line about how the police believe women. And it's like, really? Do you? Yeah. Because none of this feels like you, you're believing anything that's coming out of my mouth. Right. <laughs> and the Rovers, Daisy's disappointed that Bent Copper Tinker is so fucking useless. But at least they've done something positive. And to further cheer her up, her Save the Date cards have arrived, which forces Daisy to take a selfie <sighs> and post it on the Insta. Right, yeah. She's poke, she's posting private information. She's posting Daniel's full name without consent and the date and time and location of their wedding Yep. when she knows she has a stalker. And she knows that this stalker thinks that she's speaking directly to him when she posts things on her social. Yep. He's made a She's both she and Daniel are supposed to be smart people. Well, she's at least has She's supposed some, to be some awareness about this. She's supposed to be street smart and yet she's doing this. Mm. And Daniel doesn't say maybe you want to think about this. All all he's bothered about is the fact that she's He rolls she, his she, eyes. But not beca- but not because of of what she's posting. Just because she's posting. 
he would rather that she wasn't on uh, Instagram or social media because right. he thinks it's stupid. But, he yeah. thinks it's stupid until they're getting free stuff and then he's not complaining. Mm-hmm. Did you notice? Yeah. I'm sh- I'm frankly shocked that that Glenda, who's standing right there as well, she doesn't, doesn't say, hey, maybe, maybe that's not a great idea. But... But you know, Daisy's like, nope. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna live my life as normal and not take any precautions because it's my right to not take precautions, not even simple, basic ones that people are supposed to take, even if they don't have a stalker yet. Yeah. Hi. And if Justin has taught us nothing about himself, it's the fact that, or nothing else about himself, it's the fact that. He sees her posts as being a singular two-way communication between him, him and, and her. her. Right. Yeah. Back home, and Daisy has got another text from Justin who thinks Daniel coerced her into reporting him to the police, but he's forgiven her. So Daisy has entry number one for her diary, which is an actual diary, which yes. surprised me as well. You think she'd just have like notes, notes on her, on her phone. phone or whatever. Yeah, because she could, she could literally just take a screenshot of every single one of his texts, mm-hmm. and that could be the diary, because that's yeah. time-stamped. She's deleted a bunch of them, unfortunately. But No. Oh, well, yeah, I think the fact that he knows when the, when the wedding is. Is it conceivable that this is going to be drawn out until May? Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. He knows where she lives. He knew before he got this courier job. He knows where she works. He knows where... where, He doesn't know where Daniel works, but knows where Daniel lives. He might be... Knows where to go for their uh, cup of tea in the morning. Right. Knows her friends. Knows about Chauncey. Knows his address as well. Yes, because he knows quite a bit. bit. Delivering a package of of shit to make shit burgers with to Chauncey's (laughs) house. Chessburgers. <laughs> Chauncey burgers. <laughs> Chance burgers. Chaw burgers. Choggers. <laughs> How creepy is Justin coming across for you? God, I hate it because it's making a Scottish accent unappealing. Why couldn't they have made him at Welsh? Yeah. We know Welsh people can be creepy. Oh. <laughs> Looking at you, sir, t- sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins has played creepy people in the past who enjoy a, a nice glass of Chianti. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's what I'm referring to. I'm not referring to actual Welsh people. I'm referring to Sir Anthony Hopkins. Okay. Good save. <laughs> it feels like the way that this has been going, because for the last couple of couple of episodes in, in the last week you're thinking oh this is quite interesting we've got two couples that are planning a wedding at the same time right and not not thinking that they could possibly converge at some point right and not thinking that they could possibly converge at some point with a creepy scottish stalker with a cag with a cagoule right who wasn't scared to use it no i wonder if i wonder if all three of those things are going to come to form a perfect storm in may you know it's a shame that she doesn't ask I mean, she doesn't really want Gemma's opinion on fashion, let's be honest. But you'd think that she would say, oh, I'm trying these dresses on. Would you like 
would you like to see them? You know, she does invite them for a glass of champagne, which was nice. But you'd think I'm in this place alone with a creepy stalker possibly able to find me Mm -hmm. since I posted on social media exactly where I am exactly at the time that I'm there. The thing is, is she doesn't post. There's nothing in her post that identifies the fact that she's trying dresses on at this particular dealer. I'm assuming there are other wedding dress dealers there. How big do you think the rape hotel is? There are lots of rooms there with lots of things going on in lots of rooms. It was a rooms. conference room. It was just a conference room. You can fit a lot in a conference room. Yeah. You can probably walk around and let's let's give it the benefit of the doubt five minutes. It's pretty exact. Eh. That's eh, that's not much of a fair though, if it's if it's only one conference room. Right. Yeah, maybe it's not. But it looks like it's bigger than that because Gemma and Chauncey are walking through a number of different rooms. We see them go through a number of different doorways. Open doorways. Hmm. Still. All right. And I'm calling him Chauncey right now because I'm mad at him. Okay, let's move on then to our next storyline, which is Maxie's breakfast porridge. <laughs> on Monday, Anina rolls. David is with Gail and Stephen. He gets an email from Maxie's lawyer that the charge has been increased to encouragement of terrorism. He's not even a terrorist, says David. Yeah, no, not not, not no. understanding. That's, that's why he wasn't charged with being a terrorist. I yeah, guess. he wasn't charged with terrorism. It was encouragement. Mm-hmm. Encouragement, David. We also discovered that the roof box that Stephen got was destroyed in an accident when Stephen went into a parking garage and misjudged the space. Was he driving in Lansing under that bridge by the zoo? Hmm. Maria comes in and is far more pleasant than she has to be. She no, says seriously. Max is still a racist wee prick, but offers David any assistance that he needs. But later, in a conversation with Gail, Maria says that Max came good in the end, which is why no one got blown up a couple of weeks ago. Except and I'm not sure that that's coming good. No. That's more just bottling it. Right. Plus it was Alia that stopped people getting blown up by getting blown up herself. Right. So, what the fuck, Maria? Show me some of that Spanish dancing. At home with the solicitor, she thinks Max has a decent chance of getting off due to the grooming stuff from Griff. Right. David is elated until he learns that the lawyer's fee is going to be astronomical if Max does as advised and pleads not guilty. In the Rovers, David explains this to Gail and Stephen and Audrey. Gail says she would rather Max go off based on the facts, not because some fancy lawyer can put a positive spin on it. Audrey wonders if she can release the equity on Grasmere Drive to help with the lawyer's fees and promises to think about it. And that was a good point from mm. Gail. Yeah, no kidding. Just let's 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 get him off. Sure, let's get him off. Right. But let's not let's get let's him not off. Lie because, about it. Right. Yeah. If we have to lie about it, then obviously he doesn't deserve to get off. Right. But not like that. Right. Well, maybe like that as well. And Audrey. I think, is this the second or third time she's uh, threatened to release the equity on Grasmere Drive since Stephen has... um, And then Stephen makes a face. (laughs) Because she was going to do it to to go on the the cruise. For the cruise, right. Mm. And for something else, too. It's just, every time, like, oh, I need to get a new bulb for the downstairs lavvy. Maybe if I release the equity on Grasmere Drive, I can... (laughs) 
Along with Audrey later, Stephen suggests that it's about high time Max faced the consequences of his actions. Too many times his family has forgiven him, and all that's happened is his behaviour has gotten worse. And this gives Audrey some pause. And I know that Stephen here is saying all this for entirely the wrong reason. But, but he's, he's 100% wrong. right. He's I 100%. hate that. I hate when bad people are right. <laughs> it happens sometimes. So meanwhile, David is visiting Max, explaining that Audrey's going to cough up for the legal fees. So that's one thing less to worry about. Yikes. David encourages him not to plead guilty, confident that the lawyer will get him acquitted. Back home, David is about to leave for the hearing when Audrey and Stephen arrive to explain that uh, Audrey's not going to be stumping up the cash for the lawyer after all. And maybe this is the shock that Max needs. Realising that Stephen is behind this, David goes for him, kind of. And they tickle each other a bit until Gail manages to pull David off, but not like that. David heads off for the hearing, shouting that everyone has let Max down. It was the most pathetic fight I've ever seen in my life. And it went on forever. That must have been what he was like with that lady in boots. I don't know what you're talking about. You didn't listen to the live social cinema club? The social cinema club? Social cin- isn't it social cinema club? Sofa cinema club. Sofa. Social sofa. Cinema. Uh, no, I didn't. Yes, apparently. She assault- assaulted someone in boots? Yeah, assaulted a woman with some baby wipes. Oh. Who jumped the queue. Oh. A strange thing to admit on a podcast. Six. I I suppose. Six bottles of moisturizer because they were on sale. I I don't feel like I'm getting the full story from you. (laughs) Jack P. Shepard needs a lot of moisturizer. And that's fine. That's fine. I obviously mocked this on, on Twitter. Of course. And somebody said, well, he's probably not wanting to punch him because it's his uncle. Right. So maybe that's why it looks like that. Mm. Then why film it then? Right. (laughs) If that's the case, why film it? Right. Why have them go for them? Yeah. They're like two Tyrannosaurus Rex. Thank God Max didn't see that, or he'd really not think his dad was an alpha male. Right. Or his uncle. It was the fact that Stephen's expression never really changed during any of it. And then Gail just grabs David around the midriff and just yanks him away. Well, she is taller than he is. (laughs) Gail's not taller than anybody. Neither is David. Oh, that's unfair. (laughs) I'm sure he's a strapping five foot five. He's taller than Lily. Yeah. And that's all he needs to be. Right. Yeah, so everyone has let Max thing. At the hearing, Blake isn't exactly pissing himself as his charges of attempted murder and conspiracy to be a terrorist are read out. He whispers to Max that they're going to be heroes and pleads guilty. And Max seems to be swayed by this and when his charge of encouraging terrorism is read out, he pleads guilty too. Yes. Now, hmm. I thought this was I don't a strange understand thing to the do. British court system at all and the show doesn't help. What's confusing you? Well, because once he pleads guilty, everybody's like, well, that's it. There's not going to be a court case now. No, there's no trial. Yeah. Whereas here in America, if you plead guilty, there's still a trial. To, to do what? To, to prove that you really are guilty. So if you say that you're guilty of something, there's still a trial to prove that you're guilty? Then what's the point of having a plea? 
I don't think that happens. I think the same thing happens here as happens there. That and then there's like all the negotiations and stuff. No, and I, I think I think this is common across both legal systems that if mm. you you don't get you don't get your trial because you've kind of waived it by pleading guilty to something. So the only point of having court cases is because you somebody's pled not guilty, and that's why somebody has to decide a jury of your peers, no less. Mm. Which doesn't always <clears throat> happen that it's your peers. No. Oh. Well, Piers Morgan can't be everywhere. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine? If he was everywhere? Can you imagine if there no, was like a... No, I don't a, want to talk about it. If there was this. like a being John Malkovich situation only with Piers Morgan. Oof. <sighs> Nobody would crawl through that hole. But not like that. <laughs> Definitely not no, like if, that. If there... If their purpose was to create some some racial division and stuff and to go down as being heroes mm-hmm. for for doing this. Right. I would think that they'd want to drag this out for as long as possible, which would mean pleading not guilty. Right. To make sure that there's a trial. Because now I'd be amazed if this even makes the papers. Right, yeah. They plead guilty and that's it. It's done. Yeah. Well, Blake seems to think that that stabbing a brown woman makes him a hero to people. So he's pleading yep. guilty because he's proud of what he's done. Max seems to be pleading guilty because he's not proud of what he's done. Right. And he's finally taking responsibility. Right. And there's a, very good, and I'm, there's a I'm, very good bit coming up. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about that yet. So David shouts on the judge to ask Max again, best two out of three, didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> but the judge says, it was for keepsies and there ain't no backsies. Nope. The lawyer tells David that Max is now looking at the arse end of 15 years inside. Mm-hmm. Later, David phones Max, but Max says that he needed to take responsibility for what happened. He says plenty of people warned him, Spider, Shona, even David, and he didn't listen. Right. And he hangs up. And I thought, finally it's it's finally right. dropped yeah starting to make sense he sees through the mist that has kind of been fogging his brain and his vision on this that the the sharp shock mm-hmm. seems to be a thing and seems to have kind of give him the, the clarity to, to see this now yeah i don't know though because you would think when he got blown out of a car, that would have been enough. Or when Alia got blown out of a van, that would be enough. Mm-hmm. Is it because he was there and he actually saw the stabbing? Is that what shocked him? And is he still racist? Is he sorry because he doesn't want Alia to die, but he still thinks that brown people shouldn't be in England? Mm. You know, I it, it, it feels... It feels a little too tidy for him to be well the difference is that he's been arrested for this right finally somebody but, arrested this kid but what but yeah what was the moment of clarity for him because last week at the tail end when he's getting questioned by the nation's favorite ds blondie right he's saying 
you think I'm stupid scum here and I'm right. not scum. I was born here and all this kind of stuff. Right, yeah. So what happened? And then he gets charged and as he's charged, he's shouting on David for help and David can't provide help. Right. And now all of a sudden he's... It seemed to be Blake pleading guilty that was what made him rethink. Which... Does that make sense? I don't know. It was good to hear him say these things. Though. Right. Yeah, you want him to say these things, but you want him to say these things for the right reasons. And it's like, is 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 it him realizing that, yes, indeed, his videos did make this person crazy enough to stab someone? Mm. I'm not sure. It, it feels like it feels like a very neat and tidy and quick switch. Yeah, I do think this this storyline is as much as a as a approve of it, and I'm grateful that they've tackled this kind of thing better than they have in the past, better than when Michael uh, or when Grace was kind of racially profiled coming out of Fresh Goes and. And Michael and James, when they were driving, were kind of racially profiled, and it was kind of dealt with in, in an episode. That this has kind of been given a, a bit more thought and a bit more structure and plan into it. But yeah. it's felt for the last week or two that he's been kind of rushing towards a conclusion. I, it doesn't feel like this is a conclusion, though. He's no. not been sentenced yet, and I don't know. If, I don't know if Griff's been sentenced yet. No, and I think there are still people on the run about this. One of mm-hmm. them being the aforementioned Dave. Right, but, who's, uh, who's never going to get caught, apparently. So it does feel like there's going to be something coming out of this See, still to come. But. And this is this is my concern with finding out that Adam Little has left the show and, and that we won't see Blake ever again, is you would think you would think a conversation or two should be had between the two of them. Yeah, there's a, a loose end there. there. Yeah. But they're probably not going to be allowed to be n- near each other. No. Ever again, because of this. Anyway, yeah, which is why this. it's weird that they're being charged together. Yeah. <clears throat> we still got a little bit to go on this. So, yeah. Gail tries to comfort David, but he's upset, not just because he thinks he's let Max down for not dragging Max away from Griff, but also that he's let Kylie down. And that was quite moving. Yes. Yes, it was nice that he remembered Kylie. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he's being too hard on himself too, though, because he did try to drag Max away. Oh, he went round it. A number of times. Mm-hmm. At least twice. You know, I feel like he's being too hard on himself here. On Wednesday, David is at work thinking of nothing else other than the sentencing. Maria seems to be impressed that Max admitted to what he did wrong. David still thinks that he should have pleaded not guilty and then stood a chance of getting off for encouraging someone to try and stab Maria. Yes, says Maria. Because let's face it. Right. If Max is not guilty, let's let's be honest right. about what he's not guilty of. Right. Which is encouraging Blake to try and stab Maria. Right. While Maria's still standing there. Right. Yeah. How Later. how how she can be so tolerant of this family, I do not understand. I think luckily she's not very clever. Later, David bumps into Alia and Nina rolls, and they have an awkward exchange until Alia feels compelled out of politeness to tell David that none of this was his fault. But David is in an introspective mood and reckons that he should have shouted less and listened more. And actually, the way that Maria's been painted recently, she is 
far more intelligent than she's been given credit for previously. Yes, so. yes, absolutely. So like anyone presented with a crisis, David goes home and starts wiring into the whiskey. He's about to ding you a call from Shona, but his conscience gets the better of him. And she wants to come home, but he tells her to stay put and look after Lily because they're in that London, remember? Right, yeah. And she's not supposed to come back until she drops that baby. <laughs> there were moments of that kind of thing that you are worried about. People kind of forgiven a little bit too quickly here. It still feels like Gail is the... It's the one voice of reason. just refuses to be swayed. No. <laughs> she sees exactly what's going on. Right. Can still love the boy, but... Right. But what he's done here is pretty fucking awful. Yeah, because she can see... she's She can see the mistakes that she made with David just repeating themselves. Mm. And so she has a little experience when it comes to this, you know? Ugh. It's a wee shame. It is. It's a wee shame nobody listens to Gail. Now, if Max is looking down the arse end of 15 years here, that would be him out of the show for... 15 years. Well, seven and a bit years, because you'd normally get half. Right. I don't think they're about to do that. No, especially since he's been winning awards lately. So... Unless they have multiple prison scenes, which they have done with other characters. Not for not for that long. Not for of time. years. No. But you know, Gary was in there for quite some time. David was in there for quite some yeah. time. Gary was in there to keep Johnny company. Remember, Johnny and his invisible cat were in there for quite some time. <laughs> remember Johnny's invisible cat. Yep. And his invisible dead son. Yes. Not the same ghost. <laughs> his invisible cat son. His son was Navi. Yeah. His invisible ghost son is next on the pool table. <laughs> the, oh, the, dear. The, the conceivable, acceptable outcome for this, I think, from a, a practicality point of view mm-hmm. for the show would be for Max to get a year. Right. And they, they can't go from... This crime has a 15-year tariff, so he's going to get 12 months suspended. That just can't happen. And I kind of thought he was already on a suspended sentence for something or other. Point, uh, drugging people? I thought maybe maybe he was already on a warning for that that would be yeah. taken into account. Maybe I got that wrong, but I was sure that he was Yeah, because he was, he was arrested for that, wasn't he? I thought Eventually? so. I thought so, but it's... it's it's all it's all kind of a blur because i remember david was going to turn him in and then shona persuaded him not to do so which was very dumb of her to do but then i i thought for sure that amy had pressed charges because he she's the one that he drugged oh she probably dropped him the charges (sighs) there's another few scenes that kind of belong by proximity to the storyline so Let's go through Alia's bomb-proof, star-proof jacket. On Monday, Alia is wearing the bulkiest puffer-puffer jacket I've ever seen as she shuffles down the street. Gail checks on her, but Alia says that she can't stop to chat, and she shuffles off. And later at home, she hears a radio report about Max and Blake's hearing and seems to struggle to get to the sofa. And She gets a call from Yasmin, and she insists that she's okay, but it's clear that she's anything but... 
Yeah. On Wednesday, Dee Dee drags Alia to the pub, but she's clearly still in some discomfort and is still wearing her massive star-proof puffer puffer jacket. Maybe this was too soon, an observant Dee Dee tells Ryan. <laughs> and in the booth, Ryan says, Life, eh? Who knows what it's going to throw at you next? And he says that he imagined that by this point in his life he'd be settled down with some kids by now. And Alia practically chokes in her orange juice, never thinking that he wanted kids. And the two of them share a look that doesn't go unnoticed by Dee Dee. Correct. That's all that happens there. Yes, get the two of them back together. Oh, yes, please. I mean, she looked so happy when she's sitting with Ryan. Yes. And Ryan's obviously very happy, very happy sitting, sitting with Alia. I mean, I think this just goes to the point of nobody wants to see Alia in hospital for a week recovering from... A collapsed lung. A collapsed lung and stab wounds through fairly ouchy parts of her body, right? Right. Nobody wants to see that. But she got out less than 24 hours later. Right. With a collapsed lung. And is now kind of shuffling about looking like she could... Die at any second. <laughs> right. And I don't know why they did that. I no. don't know why they had to make her get out Just leave so her quickly. in the hospital. She could have cute little looks and talk about having kids with Ryan in the hospital. Ryan could come and visit exactly. Right. And bring her flowers. So and f- kiss her head. Why they've dragged her out? I don't understand. For this. It. I don't get it. Because it's so that so that she could bump into Gail and be awkward with Gail. I I don't know that that's worth it. It's not. Yeah, and Alia to David about it not being his fault kind of felt like it was more. Uh, just out of politeness and anything else. I'm in an, an awkward social situation where I'm standing next to the Correct. man whose son encouraged someone else to try and stab Maria and stabbed me instead. So right. I better tell him that it's not really his fault. Right. And he doesn't just accept that. He has to say, oh, no, it really is my fault because I'm such a terrible dad. And now just says, honestly, honestly, pal, I don't care. Right. Just let me shuffle away from here. Yes. All right, let's move on to our next storyline. How many more storylines do we, we have? We have three more. Oh my four god. Four more. We have what? four more. Four? Two of them are very quick. Yes. <clears throat> what involves teeth? We have two teeth related storylines this week. Let's talk about double bacon cheeseburger first. Ah, oh, do we have to? On Monday at the Quad House, Chesney is gently explaining why his burger idea is better than Gemma's wedding idea as it'll set them all up for life. Gemma is far from convinced and needs to get to work to earn the money that he's spending on his dreams. During Gemma's kiddie monitoring, Paul comes round and is sad to hear how upset Gemma is about Chesney spending the wedding fund on his burger plans. She knew she'd never get a fancy wedding, but hoped she'd get a day where she felt special. And I really felt for her in this scene. She's kind of she's so frustrated. Yeah. And she's sh- so at the end of the tether, tether and she knows that She's right. not making any sense that she's going on about this. But all she wanted was a special day. Right. And it didn't even need to be even perfect. No. Just a special day. Well, Gemma, this is your fault for falling in love with Chauncey. <laughs> right. On the plus side, though, Gemma's supervision of Bertie has gone well, and so Daniel is keen to make this a permanent arrangement. They Me- made toilet roll penguins. Meanwhile, Paul was doing a shite upstairs and comes down to invite Gemma to a meal on him later. It's speed dial. Right. And also tells Daniel <clears throat> that he bought Bertie that thing that he wanted for Christmas. Okay. 
Yeah. He said, oh, I found that thing. And he's like, oh, send me the link. And he says, don't worry about it. I already already bought it. So Ed is evidently paying Paul very well, mm. which is good. And somebody knows how to pay their employees correctly. Looking at you, Dev. Gemma is shocked to see Chesney there instead. Paul has set them up and then arrives to tell Gemma that he's going to throw some money at the wedding so Gemma and Chauncey don't have to. And I assume this is some of the five grand that he was going to give Summer a few weeks ago. Let's hope so. And he also pays for their meal. What a lovely brother. On Wednesday, Ches and Gemma are hanging out washing. It seems that the quads are dressed like the Beastie Boys from the Intergalactic video. And the show didn't bother to take out the folds. <laughs> yes, those, In, yes, those it, onesies are just out right, the packet. Those vinyl onesies. They washed <laughs> vinyl onesies in the washing machine and now they're hanging vinyl onesies out to dry. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. They're getting ready to head off to the wedding fair that Daisy's going to in another storyline with a view to catching some free ideas and not spending any of Paul's pennies. They meet up with Daisy, who gives them some freebie hints and tips and suggests that they get matched wedding tattoos. Gemma ends up with ideas of arriving to their wedding on horseback. Chesney says that he can barely ride a bike. Oh, it's just got so much going for you, Chesney. There's just... (laughs) Everything's coming up, Chesney. Gemma, you can do better. Chesney thinks that they can maybe afford a couple of donkeys and again pisses on any idea Gemma has. He suggests having the reception at the Rovers. <laughs> to be fair, Gemma's idea is to have a goat as their flower girl. So, Or a llama. It's <laughs> the, just a tall goat. The llama was Chauncey's idea. So they go around to ask Jenny if they can have the reception at the Rovers. Because he likes things that spit. The theme is getting married where you work, says Gemma. When they discuss a date in May, it turns out that their plans clash with Daniel and Daisy, which would be perfect, as if they're sharing the guests, Daniel and Daisy can pay to feed them, which means that Gemma can afford to get her goat or whatever. That's as far as we get with that. That was hilarious. This whole storyline is one red flag for not marrying Chesney. He's, it's as red as his hair. His face wandering round about that wedding fair is just so pissed off. And he's so bored. And he's got that little look in his face that says, oh, well, we can't spend all that money, Gemma. We can't have that. We can't yeah. be doing it this way. Right. We can't go on horseback. Well, in fairness, he can't just, go on horseback. We're just going to have to have like sausage rolls and maybe chip butties and whatever for the for the meal. And At the oh, rovers. he's bringing everything down. Seriously, and it's like most of it's not even his money; it's Paul's. Mm-hmm. Paul should be the one that Gemma's walking around with. Right. Remember when we went to a wedding fair? Yeah, you got thrown out. Yes. If that money isn't from summer's fund he said he was going to work some extra hours for her and stuff yeah he really is going out on a limb here yeah well he says that ed's been paying him well and he's been getting a lot of work so that's good and he's kind of like well i'm not getting married anytime soon Mm. i do like how you've got this kind of contrast between chesney and and Gemma's wedding and daniel and Daisy's wedding. Right. I like how Daisy's going... Like, they're both interested in getting getting it free. Right. So they're both kind of... In fact, Daisy's probably 
cheaper than than Chez and Gemma because right. at least they're willing to spend some money for it. But they're going to the the fair to get some ideas that they can rip off. Right. Daisy's just going so she can get freebies. Right. But Daisy thinks that she's I don't know. Daisy the, thinks that she's better than Gemma. I think she does. The show presents Daniel and Daisy as better than Gemma and Chesney. Because neither of them working like a barb shop. Right. Daisy, though, is always quite kind to Gemma. Daisy never rolls her eyes at Gemma. Daisy called them over. Daisy gave them champagne. I suppose. Daisy is 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 kind. But yeah, there is this presentation that this couple who is worried about spending lots of money is better than this couple who's worried about spending lots of money. Mm-hmm. Because Gemma and Chesney is the poverty porn of the show. Yeah. Even though there are three working adults in that house. With several jobs each. Right. And Gemma's pretty much raking it in with a child minding recently. Right. Whereas Daniel, for the longest time, didn't have any job. Yeah, I don't know if we're... I don't know that his teaching job's paying as much that he can afford childcare like that, but anyway. Anyway. Moving on. Our next storyline is the most boring storyline of 2023 so far. On Friday, at Eileen's, all 500 of the people living there have been tidying like a bunch of bastards ahead of Eileen's return. I loved it. I loved seeing... seeing you loved the storyline? I loved seeing Todd and Sean and their marigolds. Oh, that was quite funny. Yeah. Yes, and, and, and Mary sh- shouting like a, like a drill sergeant in their general direction. It seems that Sean's letting the toilet settle for a bit. And as they're arguing, a nicely tanned Eileen arrives. And she's a bit smaller than she was before. Looks like she's gone the holiday and lost weight. Don't know how mm. that works. Just back in the country, Eileen is in Nina's roles with George and Todd, talking about how she's a monkey god or something. She got George a monkey keyring and Todd some Muay Thai boxing gloves. So that was a scene that happened. Yeah. Back home, Eileen has found the boxing gloves in the bin. And we got to see Alex. Oh yeah, he was uh, listening to other people's conversations that he has no business listening to. Right, and commenting on them because yes. he knows a lot about kickboxing. She forces Todd to put them on and gets George to use the pads and she tells him to spar, which I don't think maybe George found kind of erotic. Right, Todd, and he can't really spar when one's wearing gloves and the other one's wearing pads. That's just punching the pads. Todd is useless, so they swap over and George punches Todd in the face and knocks out his teeth. Yeah. And it, it was a, <laughs> one of those punches where the person who's punched spins round before they fall over. <laughs> that was what you were laughing at then. I could yeah. hear you laughing at something that was, that was that. Oh, actually, I think it, I think I think it's when Eileen walks into the room and shouts at all three of them mm. and and all three of them look ashamed like like school children with the bossy school marm and that was hilarious because it means Eileen's back. Yes. She's back from the jungle. Yes. Or Thailand. Or the Thai jungle. Yeah. Todd has uh, spoken with his dentist, but can't get an appointment until next week. Sean and Lawrence come in and get the story, and Sean offers Lawrence his services. But not like that. And also suggests that Lawrence might fix his tooth. But not like that. Todd protests for a scene and a half, so Sean takes initiative and tells Lawrence to take a look at Todd's mouth. But not like that. Another overs later, Lawrence has helped and Todd's mouth's going to be okay after all, which is lucky because he has a date later on. What a fucking boring story this is. 
got to see Todd get punched in the face. How could that be boring? It was pointless. It was fun. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was meant to be fun. I right. just, I just, I found it just really, really dull. I found it fun. I liked Todd getting punched. Right. That was he sold that. Yes. With all of all his worth. And George sold his shame very well as well. <laughs> right. So that was that was fun. I. Because this was supposed to be a story that was about Todd and Lauren still being awkward with each other, but it never really manifested itself. I feel like it's setting something up. Mm. Yeah, probably. Especially since he got it done for free. That's what these uh, Friday Friday only stories are kind of good for, is setting stuff up in in the coming week. Correct. But yeah, nice to see Eileen back. And nice just again to see so many people living in that house. It's hilarious. Our penultimate storyline is Caddy shacked up. On Friday, in the shop, Dev has been on the loopy juice early today and he's complaining about his golf in February being cancelled by his partner. He needs to get the practice in. And he's describing the outfit that he goes golfing in. Is that what he was saying? And it's hilarious. I was so lost during that. It was what so funny. What the fuck are you going on about, Dave? I know, and, and you're listening to him talk about this outfit and everything and going into all these details, and you think, oh, he's he's talking about what he's going to wear like on Valentine's Day for a hot date with, with, with Bernie, and no, it's his golfing outfit. And he's talking. Is that what it was? I and was so lost, honestly. And he's talking to Rita about it as if Rita cares. Poor well, Rita. Rita gets her revenge and those stakes later on. <laughs> <clears throat> so Bernie offers to partner him instead. Dev mocks her a bit, but Bernie knows her way around a crazy golf course, so it's a date. And the rovers later. A club. And the rovers later, Bernie and Dev are back from their golf. And not only did Bernie beat Dev, she's also got an offer from the ladies' captain who wants her to try out for the team. And Dev pretends that he's thrilled by this. Right. And that's all that happens in that. Yes. I like that she's better than Dev at golf. Right. And it doesn't surprise me. Dev goes on about the golf club. Right. But never seems to play golf. No. So I imagine he's shit. (laughs) Maybe that's where the guy keeps cancelling on him. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, the golf club for Dev is very much the social it's elevation status, thing. Right, yeah. 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 Bernie knows her way around a hole, though. <laughs> yes, she does. Yes, she does. She is the shepherd of the anus. And also balls. <laughs> All right, let's move on then to... Oh, do you have anything else to say about that? Balls. Balls. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good to see the two of them yes. are still a thing, I guess. Right. And... Uh, I like and that, I like that she's, she, I like that she's better at golf than Right. Yeah. That's kind of perfect. I love the because, teasing. Because he's going to be unbearable about yes, that. Yes, of course and, he is. And she's going to be unbearable about it as well. Yes. So should be fun. It good. Our final storyline is Cocaine Bistro. This is a story that's based on a true story about the bistro that found some cocaine. In the forest. And consumed it and jumped at an ambulance. <laughs> and it died and was stuffed and set up. In a rest stop in Kentucky. Lovely stuff. <laughs> yes. On Monday, it's the day of the Bistro Boozy session, and Damon is dead keen to get the music just right, which means he's going to DJ. Is there anything worse than DJs? And he goes off to get some kit. Ryan Later, must be devastated. Right. 
Later Damon chats to Amy about Jacob. Neither of them have heard from him and they both agree it's probably for the best. And Nick watches this interaction with concern. Damon has set up his decks and is playing dull dance music. Sam, though, is curious to know how it all works, so Damon explains that all he does is play pre-recorded sets on MP3 from his laptop and pretend that he's listening to the music on one headphone. (laughs) Nick, though, isn't about to let this go on, and he snaps at Sam to go and do his homework that he's already done. Sam is confused, but he's a good boy and does as he's told. He erases every single piece of paper and then writes the answers back in again. The night has been a huge success or something. Amy declares it a banging event. Nick again is pissed by this and tells Damon to back off. Damon reminds Nick that he's lucky that as Nick's business partner, that he's such a likeable guy. Turns the pants off of Rita. Right, still some simmering tension there. On Wednesday, Sam is now obsessed with being a DJ and hopes to get more time with Damon, who says that uh, Sam has a really good ear. Nick really wants to nip this shit in the bud while Leanne doesn't see the harm of it. And Nick's foreskin is further stuffed full of sand later when he comes in to see Damon and Leanne on the sofa, all cosy-like, talking about loyalty cards for the bistro. Damon's phone rings incessantly, but he just ignores it. And privately, Damon warns Nick that things are going to get hot around about the bistro. Nick doesn't seem to care about that as much as he cares about Damon keeping the fuck away from Sam and Leanne. Damon's phone goes again and it sounds like there's the makings of a turf war going on here as the caller wants cut in as Damon is operating on his patch. What woe? Wasn't this Harvey's patch? Yeah, this felt like it was uh, one of those throwaway lines that is potentially not important but Mm -hmm. I bet you it's important. Oh yes. And the Bistro, Leanne wants to know what Nick's problem is with Damon. Me, says Nick in a high-pitched voice. I don't have a problem. But when they're short-staffed, it's Damon who shows up to help and he wastes no time in flirting with Dee Dee, which Nick seems to disapprove of also. Well, God yes. almighty, Nick, just give this guy a break. Despite- you do know she's a lawyer, right? <laughs> and you're a crook. Despite doing digging on Damon a couple of weeks ago, Ryan is quite taken with Damon as well. And as is Dee Dee, who accepts his offer, of a date. What? Yeah, I never expected those two to hook it up. Hmm. I don't think they will. No. No. I'm I'm still waiting for Zidane to come back and for them to hook up. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. On Friday at the Bistro, Damon sees Sam shadow boxing for some reason and gives him some tips about where he should be putting his thumbs. Sam explains that he's been having problems with a bully and Hope has recommended delivering a boot to the pie. Damon again gives some fighting advice. Mm. Later, Damon is giving Nick the lowdown of the drug delivery that's coming up. It seems that he's organised it for the lunchtime rush and doesn't care about the practicalities of this, but does care about not getting his hands dirty himself. And as they're discussing this, Leanne comes in, so they quickly change the subject and Nick tries to wipe off that fucking look on his face. That look in his face that he's just like shot himself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> At school, Sam is getting bullied by a girl who seems to have an inferiority complex with him. She pours soda over his head and steals his DJ magazine, so Sam threatens to fuck her up good and proper with his telescope stand. Hey, Sam, maybe the problem is, is that you carry a telescope everywhere you go. That's victim blaming you. <laughs> I know. Okay, good. But, but it's funny. Because 
Come on. Oh, yeah. Like, why did they have it so readily available? Oh, you when know. A, when a flick knife would have been better. You know why? Because he'd just given a presentation on go. star particles. There you go. Because of course he did. <laughs> Another bistro, Nick gets a call from the school. Sam's been in what they can only really describe as a fight. Nick brings Sam back to the bistro. I hope that girl got punished as well because he's covered in soda. And he's got the makings of a black eye that I hope is going to fade a little bit quicker than Nick's did. Mm. There's still the little yellow outline of that Nick's face. Seems his bully didn't take kindly to being threatened with a telescope stand. He explains he was only following advice from Damon. Nick is furious. And he bans Sam from ever speaking with Damon again. Leanne is confused about why Nick gives so much of a fuck about this and demands to know what's going on. So Nick says, look over there, and then runs away. At home, Leanne refuses to let this lie and demands to know what's going on. So Nick spills that Damon is Harvey's brother and he's shipping drugs through the bistro and he pretty much says it exactly like that. He's on to explain the loan that he got from Harvey and the blackmail, which doesn't make Leanne feel any better. She wants to go to the police, but Nick reminds her of the tattoo he has along his inner thighs. Snitches get stitches. No police. Leanne realises that this means that Nick was also lying about using Natasha's money and getting the okay from her sister. She gets on the phone and demands a meeting with Damon at the bistro, advising Nick to stay the fuck away. She rightly says, do you think Natasha's family would be happy, happier that you took money from her murderer? Yes. So Leanne and Damon meet up in the bistro and Leanne tells him she knows everything. Nick has spilled his guts. Their conversation is interrupted when Rita comes in because she hasn't spoken to anyone all week and wants to speak about Danny who used to work there or something or just anything. Right. So she can she, hear her own voice out loud for a bit. She wants Danny's sticky toffee pudding mm. recipe. Exactly like that. And that went on forever as well. God, yeah, because like she couldn't remember his name and then she said James Bailey's fella and then Leanne's like, oh yeah, he doesn't work here anymore. He's in London. Yeah. So you're not getting that recipe, Rita. James Bailey, that person that you never spoke to, that you know his name. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. In the box office. In the box office? <laughs> box office. In the office, Leanne has bigger balls than Nick ever did and stands up to Damon. He tells her that he was the one that got Harvey sent to Barrel in Glasgow. Harvey is a loose cannon and he's and Damon, by comparison, is a cool head. Right, and then he claims to love his son. Yeah. He was doing actually quite well as far as we were concerned until he pretended that he was a good loving dad. Right, yeah. Leanne points out that he's uh, sticking up to Harvey to protect his family and she's only doing the same. She's protecting Sam and she kiboshes drugs going through her restaurant. At the flat, Sam is worried that Nick is angry with him. Nick says he isn't angry, he's just disappointed. Sure. Disappointed that Sam stood up for himself against a bully. Right, yes, and also disappointed that Sam loves Damon more than him. (laughs) Yes. Leanne explains about Oliver... Uh, to Damon and the courage that it took to stand up to Harvey she's no grass but Damon is in Harvey's shoes and she'll do what she needs to do to protect Sam useless prick Nick comes in Damon says the drop's happening but it'll be the last one and then he's out because the two of them are just far too much hassle he leaves and Nick wonders if they can trust Damon that this really will be over but Leanne is far more concerned about knowing if she can ever trust Nick again 
And that's how we end this week's episodes. So fucking... Why is she telling this drug dealer about Oliver when this guy does not give a fuck about your dead son? She, he doesn't give a fuck about his own living son or your living stepson. This is... I don't understand why conversations happen like this where characters earnestly believe that bad guys care about what they have to say. It's kind of like the whole Daniel thing with with the creeper, you know, explaining about the dead wife. It's like these people don't care. This didn't bother me as much as the, the Daniel bit did, probably because Daniel. Right. But... There seems to be a bit more respect between Damon and Leanne than Damon and Nick. I Damon, feel like he's putting it on with Leanne as well. Maybe, but, but it on the surface at least, he's treating Nick like a piece of shit in his shoe. Right. And he's treating Leanne like she's the, the trousers in the relationship. Right. I guess they do come from similar backgrounds. Similar stock, yeah. Yeah. And then they have the connection through Harvey, I guess. And he did seem to have, and again, you can argue whether or not it was put on or not, but he does seem to have some sympathy when he hears Leanne tell the story about Oliver that he has never expressed to Nick when Nick has always said that Leanne's been through too much and and Damon has never really been bothered about it. So, he's definitely so, putting it on considering the way that he's talking about his own son there when we know that's not true. Right. But is this going to be the last? No. Not not on purpose. I, it feels like maybe this will be the last because this other drug runner in the area is going to, you know, put a bullet through Damon's head or something. But I don't believe a word that man says. Right. Yeah, there's definitely something in that conversation that he had where not only was he refusing to let this other guy in on the turf thing, but he was very disrespectful as he was saying it. Mm -hmm. So who knows? We're we're told that Damon's worse than Harvey, but but Harvey wasn't really that bad bad after all. I mean, he he did did murder someone. He still was a bit of a camp baddie. So maybe there is a, a, a bigger bad. At least he didn't talk to his plants. Right. So maybe there's this bigger bad that's waiting to whack, whack Damon. And that could be a, a swift exit for him. But again, and this is back to the Daisy mother bit. We've got this character that's just been introduced for a fairly short period of time. I don't see Christina going out of it yet and i don't see damon going out of it yet it's like let's remember and we've, damon, got the, we've got the whole he's asked Didi out presumably that that will happen that's got to happen because it's right. been said out loud so yeah. but let's not forget the whole reason damon is here was to give jacob an exit yeah and jacob's gotten his exit still that's hasn't announced still hasn't announced what he's going to be doing next though no very curious about that me too I kind of felt sorry for for Sam a little bit, though, because Sam was bringing something out of Damon. Damon was very quick to call him a little Einstein and mm-hmm. and things like that, but 
he was at least humouring some right. far more than I expected him to. Right. Although he's probably doing that because he knows that it gets under Nick's skin. Right. But Sam, Sam being a superstar DJ is quite amusing. And I can see it happening. Everything that kid does he turns to gold. Yeah, he's not really interested in chess anymore. Now he's obsessing about right. DJing. It's interesting that it was Jude's dad who who directed that episode oh, was it? where his where his real life son gets covered in soda. Oh, was it really? Yeah. All good stuff. Well that's exciting. <laughs> good for him. It's like how to get revenge on your child <laughs> directed episode that he stars in. Yeah, I don't think that works. Look, we need to do that getting covered in soda <laughs> thing again. <laughs> No, I I loved Leanne in these scenes. I thought she was uh, she was tough and uncompromising, and like you said, there was still that kind of uh, that that code of thieves a little bit. Where right. look, I'm not going to grass in you, but right. don't push me because I I wasn't brought up to be a grass. Right. The family thing is, right, yeah. is strong, and yeah. and it's really nice to hear her. Talk Say about, that about Sam, Sam in that yes. way. That's kind of heartwarming. Yes, that's lovely. I like that. As well. That's so, good stuff. Um, so where does this leave her and Nick? Because I don't know. Harvey killed Natasha, but Harvey was trying to kill her. Right. Oh, I just there was just such a bad idea. It really it's was. Like, do soap characters learn nothing? No, they don't. Again. So many of these people are supposed to be smart. The only one who's actually smart is Sam and Roy. <laughs> they're, they're, but they're smart until that causes a problem with a plot and then, they're, right. and then they're stupid because if you're Nick and they try to explain this by saying he's always been in business all his life and right. he's, he's, supposed nev- to he's, be never not, he's never not done this. But if the choice was you lose your bistro or you have to do a deal with the devil, basically, and and get money off the guy that killed your son's mum. Right. I think you let your bistro go under. Right. Or you do your damnedest to find some find other another way. way. And he's pish about thinking that uh, Harvey was looking for some redemption. sort of redemption there. He didn't believe a word that was coming out of that man's mouth. Right. So he's kind of retconning this. To yeah. suit his own, his own conscience. Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess that is the week that was Coronation Street. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Could it be Todd getting punched in the face? <laughs> Please. Uh, uh, is it is it is it Paul offering to pay for Gemma's wedding? No. It was very sweet. I do love Paul. What do you think it should be? Uh, let me think of yeah, the scenes that, that <laughs> not, I liked. Well, the, not the, easy. Well, the scene that, that I liked was Max taking his responsibility. Yeah, but I'm not so sure about it. Right. <laughs> Is it Steven? Oh, maybe it was Daisy reading the riot act to, to Tinker. I thought Daisy was, was awesome in that. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, let's give it to that. Yeah. Yeah. Daisy. Craig finally getting his come up and some being a shit cop. <laughs> yeah, I just love Daisy's. Uh, her her anger was exactly directed in the right 
place there. Absolutely. To this shit cop who doesn't give a fuck. Right. That is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. Hmm. It's got to be in that shit boring storyline, surely. I liked that storyline, though. Is it George's caring? Is it Eileen trying to teach Thai words to George and Todd? And and George being so proud of being able to say macaque. <laughs> Look, uh, it's macaque. The Chesney and Llamas. Is it Gemma explaining how a goat can be a flower girl? No, I think it's Eileen and George and, and Todd in the in Nina's roles. And and um and, it, it and literally Eileen, went nowhere. And Eileen teaching them how to say, you know, monkey guardian in, in Thai, which Alex knew what it was immediately. And and Eileen talking about how much the monkeys there liked her. It was boring for me because at the end of the, the scene, I was like, how does that advance anything? I mean, we've given Todd the, the gloves, but... Yeah, that was just that. Fuck it. Boring moment of the week. I used to seeing white people trying to say words is funny, but also sad. Fair enough. Well, and I say that as a white person. I think we should wrap this one up then. Please, if you know words and would like to try and say them, you can say <laughs> them to us. We're the talk of the street at gmail dot com, and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and Mastodon. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Please. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. Thank you. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.